Hello, friends of the coast. My name is Peter Ravella, and this is Tyler Buckingham. And welcome to the first episode of the American Shoreline Podcast Network. And uh, it is appropriate that we're releasing the first podcast on Labor Day 2018, a special day. Tyler, as you know, historically, this is the end of the summer season. This is our Endless Summer podcast, the first podcast for the American Shoreline Podcast Network and the first for the American Shoreline Podcast. This show, uh, we are so darn excited to be with you today. Uh, Peter, we've been working on this for some time, haven't we? We have, you know, and I think, Tyler, we were talking about way back in... Uh, 2015, the first time we met at the Draft House, one of the great brew pubs in Austin, Texas, uh, to sit down and talk about joining forces. Um, at the time, the biggest conversation we were having was about uh, coastal consulting practices and what we were going to do together as consultants on coastal matters. But of course, after about 30 minutes, it turned to the real heart and soul of what we've been doing together, which is to think about the American shoreline and what we wanted to accomplish in that realm. Yeah, I mean, it turns out that when you start talking about your favorite beach, you realize that they're all connected and that at some basic level, I think we all have a deep uh, and profound respect for the American shoreline and that the only way to address these individual problems and, and areas of concern that we were working on as consultants was to look at the big picture and to, to kind of pull our heads out and look at the horizon. And uh, I believe it was there in that California retreat, staying at my mom's beach house in uh, Ventura, California, July uh, 2017, uh, we began to come up with this idea of the American Shoreline podcast. And really, it was all about looking at the coast from the ocean in to change per our perspective of the shoreline and to encourage a discussion uh, regardless of the silos that we might be in as consultants or energy people or whatever. And uh, that was really a, a monumentous moment for us. It was. I mean... You know, having worked on the coast for 25 years and been a practitioner in the coastal profession, uh, after a while, you begin to gain a broader perspective. And when we were in Ventura, that fabulous beach house, and I just remember the great book that your mother had um, on the table about the history of the development of Ventura County. Of course, I think most of our listeners who've heard of Ventura County understand it to be a great beach town and a great place for surfing. It's got a worldwide reputation as a beach community. But in the 1920s and the 1930s, it was one of the major oil-producing counties in America and was the source of oil and gas production for most of the Pacific fleet during World War II. And uh, what was great about the history book that your mother had was it showed that the original beach houses that were built in Ventura County faced landward because these were the oil field workers who looked over the vast oil fields and derricks of Ventura County. Uh, people weren't thinking about the coast and that got us, I think, thinking about the transition, the economic and social transitions of the American shoreline over time. And it's what's led us to starting Coastal News Today and the American Shoreline Podcast Network is I think it's important that we tell the story of the American shoreline. 
Indeed. I mean, that, that story you're referencing in that book, uh, we were talking with one of our good friends out in Ventura, Brian Brennan, who is, uh, who happens to head up the, the Beacon organization there in Ventura and Santa Barbara counties. And, uh, it, as we worked consulting around the country, we'd meet these, these people who were so knowledgeable and, and in their knowledge of the coast and the shoreline, they in fact had knowledge of the entire community, the entire economy, uh, the full history of it, the human uh, elements, the science and, and environmental elements are all coming together. Uh, I often say that the coast is a crucible for the environmental movement in that uh, things most radically change there. Most the Change happens at a, at a rate of speed that is uh, observable and it forces us as a society to confront our management of the space and to ask ourselves hard questions and that's really what this podcast is it's a forum for those questions and we look forward to running right into the fray yeah well I think that, that the point you've made about meeting a lot of interesting people on the American shoreline in the years that we've uh, worked as consultants on the coast uh, that is really why there is an American Shoreline podcast network and not just a show for you and I. Um, there are brilliant people and practitioners uh, in a, just a wide variety of subjects. And I like to think that we are the place where you're going to hear the voices from the, from the economic and public interest sectors that exist in the land-water interface of the American shoreline. So we're talking about the network being a place where you will hear a podcast on federal shoreline policy. We have two great podcast hosts from Washington, D.C. It'll be a place where you can hear a podcast on coastal real estate and development and on economics and tourism. We have a great podcast host from Chicago, uh, Conventional Visitors Bureau Issues, from our great podcast host from actually from Ventura County, um, beach users, enjoyment, the variety of ways that we use the coast. And, and let me tell you, if you think about, if you, if you pause for a minute and think about how much we ask of our shoreline, whether it's Puget Sound or San Francisco Bay or Galveston Bay on the Gulf Coast or Mobile or all around Florida and up the Atlantic seaboard, I mean, we look at these spaces to produce so much value and to serve so many interests. It has got to be the most complex economic, social, and political environment in the United States. And the American Shoreline Podcast Network is designed to tell that story and to bring to professionals and practitioners insights outside of your special zone. You might be at a coastal energy development engineer but it's important that you understand what's going on in coastal real estate and coastal recreation and coastal hospitality and coastal, you know, the academic world, because those sectors will affect what you do. And so ASPN and Coastal News Today is designed to cross those barriers and elucidate and illuminate with the best conversations we can produce, the most in-depth professionalism uh, the people you're going to hear from here are professionals who've worked in this area for decades. And really, I think it's, I'm just, I'm fascinated and thrilled that we're going to be able to bring these people to the 
together uh, to talk to the American public. That was uh, very well said, Peter. And uh, let's get into that in one second. But first, let's have a word from our sponsor. Well, and we are so pleased to have our first sponsor, um, Tyler, the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association, which is one of the bedrock institutional organizations in coastal thinking and coastal practice. ASBPA is headed up by Derek Brockbank as uh, president and executive director. Derek is a podcast host um, and will be uh, someone you hear from regularly. Uh, but we want to thank ASBPA and we wish to invite everyone to the ASBPA National Conference. It's an annual national conference, a great conference. We're going to be there for three days. The podcast will originate at ASBPA. Tyler, a great conference. I can't speak more highly of it. Uh, in fact, we did our pilot for this very podcast last year at the conference um, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, this is the type of professional conference that will make you better at your job. Uh, there are over 200 presentations and posters covering a wide range of coastal topics. There's really nothing that this conference does not touch. Um, and of course, we plan on being back there ourselves. We certainly would never miss it. Uh, as Peter just said, Derek, uh, executive director of ASBPA, is going to be uh, hosting one of our shows on the network. And in addition to that, we will be interviewing him from the first day of the conference, along with uh, the keynote speaker, and also uh, inviting all of our listeners to come join us on the final day. Uh, we will be doing a uh, podcast where we ask all of you what you learned, and we kind of bring all these ideas together for the final show, which is really what this show is all about. Thanks. Yeah, that's right. And so... Folks, the ASBPA National Conference, the title is Resilient Shorelines for Rising Tides. It is October 30th to November 2nd this fall. So the opening day of the conference uh, will be Halloween Day in 2018 in Galveston, Texas. The Galveston Island Convention Center uh, on the seawall, on Seawall Boulevard, fantastic facility a fantastic place. And for those of you in the general public or in the professional realm of coastal management, there are really few conferences that bring together the spectrum of topics and interests in one place. Come to Galveston on Halloween Day. Come to the Resilient Shorelines and Rising Tides Conference. It's a great show. You should be a member of ASBPA. And we want to thank ASBPA for inviting us there and as I said, three, as Tyler said, three podcasts will originate from the conference. Uh, and we're really looking forward to being there. Okay, so be sure to go to asbpa.org, register, pay the fee, get there. You will not regret it. We'll see you there. So, uh, Tyler, I wanted to, to, to help our audience understand you know, what brought us to do Coastal News today and the American Shoreline Podcast Network? Um, this is a big change for you and I in uh, what we've been doing professionally. Um, no doubt about that. And uh, it's something we've been thinking about for a couple of years, but like any new venture, 
there are triggering events that that really brought us to the point where we are now. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, we can trace uh, three uh, major events that brought us to be sitting here in front of this very microphone. Um, and it all goes back to uh, that retreat in Ventura, California at my mother's beach house. We uh, were out in California to spend some time with our company and to evaluate our objectives and growth. And we decided to take a trip out to the Channel Islands National Park, which is about 15 miles offshore of Ventura Harbor. And uh, it was a truly a magical trip. We took a, an incredible hike, uh, barely got back to get the ferry on the way back. And as we were sitting, uh, drinking a beer on the ferry on the way back, we began to look at the California shoreline from the sea. And we realized that as we started 15 miles out and the shore was uh, distorted by the distance and the sea between us and the misty air. And as we got closer and things became uh, more vivid and we could see the topography of the land and begin to make out landmarks and features, we began to realize that uh, so too does our understanding of our discipline. And that when we zoom out and when we look at the shore from afar, we're able to see things that we can't from close in. And of course, uh, that led us on a pretty amazing journey, didn't it? It did. I mean, I, I think anybody who's spent time on the American shoreline, whether it's in California or up in Boston or on the Outer Banks of North Carolina, you get the sense of what is very special and important. If you, if you can get your perspective into the landscape and what is unique about the land water interface boy it's a revealing and uh just fascinating uh topic to think through and on the channel islands trip what what i thought was so amazing we were we were on a you know a ferry boat a national park system ferry boat from the mainland out to the island uh there was a docent on board and the captain of the boat was a young guy uh, with a microphone sort of narrating the trip out to the island. And we remember we ran into a pod of probably a hundred dolphin on the way out. A megapod. And, yeah, it was a megapod of, of dolphin. And we, you know, you, you, you know, you know on board are a bunch of people who are from the inland part of the United States who are on their first trip perhaps to the ocean. And the fascination of the kids and the fascination of the dolphins, I mean, and I was the fascination a marine, of us. Yeah, I was a, I'm a marine biology major. I studied on the coast. I've studied the coast and lived on the coast. It is just extraordinary. And that trip, uh, here's what I'm proud of, is the fact that when you get out to the Channel Islands National Park and you realize that as a country, we had the foresight to preserve that island uh, uh, archipelago of the Channel Islands in, in the national park system. It is absolutely stunning and rich and uh, I think we did an eight mile hike from one side of the island to the other and it was a little bit uh, you know of a challenge for me I had had a heart attack a pretty significant heart attack about six months before and it was the first major um, outing that I had done since since that time but made it over and back uh, it, it tied into the history and the meaning of the coast as a personal experience that uh, I think Americans share. Uh, there is just something about 
the shoreline that opens our minds in ways that I think other parts of the countries just don't do. Absolutely. And I, I think that uh, the next real major event in the evolution of, of us bringing back coastal news today and creating the American Shoreline Podcast Network happened uh, about six months later. Uh, we, we got back to the beach house there in Ventura and uh, collected our thoughts. And we actually wrote some things down. And it just kind of sat there until for about six months we were in Washington, D.C. Yeah. for the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association's D.C. Summit, yeah. uh, which is another fantastic ASBPA event that is held every year uh, in the winter. And uh, there, Peter got the idea of Coastal News Today, a service that had been uh, discontinued, but that we both used professionally, didn't we? Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, Coastal News Today was started in 2007 by Jeff Birmingham and another engineer from Coastal Technology Corporation out of Vero Beach, Florida, a couple of guys that I knew and worked with. Um, they ran it for a while, uh, eventually sold it to a guy, Coastal News Today, with with Phil Lonsdale, uh, who carried the, the baton for a while, and produce Coastal News Today as a news aggregator service. Uh, uh, and Phil operated out of the Bahamas and out of Europe. It was, uh, But in his later years, uh, he decided to, to discontinue the publication. And of course, I remember, Tyler, when you came to work for me and all of the people I've had to work for me, uh, the first thing I tell you is to sign up for Coastal News Today and start reading about the American shoreline so you know and understand the context that we're all operating in, and and it was a it was a very important part of my professional life. Uh, I read it every morning. Yeah, we did, and and you, you it, it's important to look at the complexity of the issues and the commonality of the issues from region to region in the country, and how policymakers and industries and economic sectors respond to the challenges of the American coast. Uh, so when we were at the National Coastal Summit in Washington D.C. Uh, in attending the board meeting of ASBPA, they were discussing whether they were going to pick up the baton and carry coastal news into the future. Uh, we witnessed the vote. Uh, they decided not to. They felt that it was too much for the organization to carry, which really opened the door for us to contact Phil Lonsdale and say, we believe in what you started and we believe we can make it better and more powerful. And would you be interested and uh, passing it forward to us. And that was in uh, March 2018. And uh, it's taken us a while to get our feet on the ground, but uh, we really think we believe in Coastal News today. And we have uh, created the American Shoreline Podcast Network as an adjunct. And I think really what is going to be the most exciting part of this project is our, our podcast network. And I just want to jump in here and say that uh, while Coastal News Today was a daily resource for me, uh, there, it left one thing out that I really wanted. I really wanted to see beyond strictly coastal engineering and science. Uh, those are two incredibly important uh, sectors of the coast. But we also know from our work in... Minnesota Key, Florida, where we designed a funding plan for a beach restoration project there, 
that these projects are much more complicated than simply engineering and uh, the science. We needed to get into boating rights and public-private partnership rights. And, uh, mm-hmm. of course, we were getting into the engineering, too, but we were having to manage the full spectrum of the coast. And that was going on during the uh, DC summit. And while we were talking with Phil, we were thinking about how could we improve the coastal news today that we knew and loved? How could we make it better? And really, we think that uh, expanding the scope to include all of the sectors of the coast and adding the podcast network during this critical time when we need discussion. We say that there's an awakening on the shores now, and it's time for us to de-silo and start to have conversations about how to manage the space. Absolutely. Uh, I would just say that the, the, the effort uh, that we put into developing the funding strategy for Charlotte County, Florida, at Manasota Key and Don Pedro Night Island, that was about a year and a half long effort of public engagement and discussion. Uh, all of you practitioners out there, all of the local government listeners, um, the dredging companies and the engineering firms that work on responding to shoreline change along the American shoreline understand the complexity of the issue environmentally, technically, and politically. And the Minnesota Key experience, which culminated in on June 19th of this year, 2018, not too long ago, about six weeks ago, was the unanimous adoption of a, of a funding strategy and tax investment strategy for uh, about $40 million in public investment to respond to shoreline change in Charlotte County. What's amazing when we go from town to town and we work in communities trying to respond to coastal problems is the cast of characters and the interests that we encounter. And I think, Tyler, that's the thing that you were so great at was really trying to, 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 to learn who the community was, what the balance of interests were, and to find a way to bring the people together to respond to a coastal shoreline problem. And... Uh, I don't know if it's the last funding strategy we'll ever do. I sure hope so. I've uh, been doing a whole bunch of them over the last 10 years. Uh, I think it's time to, to bring that experience to a broader context and, and Coastal News Today and the American Shoreline Podcast Network uh, lets us explain and help people understand beyond the professional uh ranks the complexity of the American shoreline and the balance of interests that that have to be dealt with uh, to, to make. And that's, and that's why, Peter, it is so awesome that we are launching this podcast on Labor Day, the Endless Summer Podcast, after a summer that I think can truly be recognized as one where there has been an awakening on the shore. Yeah, and I, I that, you know, when you start thinking about putting together a project like this, um, you start to pay closer attention to the vibrations in the in the United States and how we're talking about and the shoreline and what we're what we're seeing. And there have been some major developments this summer. Oh no, kidding! I mean, this has been 
uh, for us, as we've been putting this together, almost a, uh, it, it, it couldn't have been predicted how much energy there is at the grassroots level uh, and attention being paid toward uh, our, our shorelines at the community level. So uh, in preparation for this podcast, I've decided to put together my top five coastal stories of the summer. And uh, I thought we might go over them together. What do you think? I think we should. And, and, and I think we can tell our readers the, the kind of focus that uh, and, and paying attention to, to what's happening around the United States is what you'll come to expect from Coastal News Today and ASPN. But yeah, let's go through. What were the big stories? All right. let's, start with, let's start with number five. And I'll, we'll work our way down uh, as we are supposed to do. Uh, number five, really interesting. I have the plastic straw ban movement. Hmm. This is fascinating to me because it is a truly grassroots movement that is national in scope, where across the country from Texas, California, from the liberal states to the conservative states, coastal communities, and, and even individual local establishments, bars, uh, restaurants are deciding to move away from plastic straws and move toward alternatives, either not offering a straw or uh, using paper straws, uh, which of course is great. I'm sure we have all seen the viral uh, video that circulated over the past year of a fisherman offshore pulling a sea turtle out of the sea with a straw embedded up its nostril like four inches it's it's truly mm -hmm. and and yanks it out with a pair of pliers uh and it was such a vivid visual but it shows us as news professionals that that image has resonated throughout the american society and, cre and has created actual policy change at the local level right uh, that's not being talked about in the halls of Congress or in, in the White House. That's being talked about at City Hall. Right. And uh, that is that is a true change on the landscape of the shoreline. It is, and I think it's it's a great microcosm. It's a very good example of the intersection of interest along the shoreline and why, as a professional, say, in coastal design or in coastal development, paying attention to the universe of advocates along the shoreline and their perception of the shoreline is going, or if you're a restaurant or a bar owner, these public perceptions originate in ways that can affect you directly as a business or as an enterprise or as a community. And the plastic straw bear movement and that viral video, which I have seen, and I, I'll bet you a bunch of our uh, our listeners have too, is is one of those sort of gut wrenching visuals that 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 represents uh, how we connect to the coast and the power of community interest in the American shoreline movement. It also speaks to the more the broader concept of our uh, of the modern environmental movement and a recognition of our planet's uh, water majority. Uh, the trash that we create ends up in the sea, and although straws, you know, undoubtedly don't make up the the lion's share of plastic waste yeah. that ends up in the sea. This is a symbolic victory that shows that people are becoming more conscientious and more aware of their plastic consumption. And that is interesting, and we certainly will be tracking this 
and what it means to the American shoreline. And it's, it's, it's one of the sections, so we really haven't gone through in detail what Coastal News Today is as opposed to the American Shoreline Podcast Network. Coastal News Today is our online home for ASPN, and it is also going to be a site where we cover developing news from all around uh, the coastline of the United States, from Alaska all the way down the West Coast, around the Gulf, and up the Atlantic seaboard to Maine, and Hawaii, what's going on in the discussion on the shoreline. Uh, the plastic straw ban and, and is really an indicative story of what coastal advocates do on the shoreline and how they influence uh, public policy on the shoreline. There is a section of Coastal News Today developed uh, and will be uh, uh, dedicated to coastal advocacy. And uh, each of these sections of the new service will have an associated podcast. And I got to tell you, our coastal advocacy podcast is going to be headed up by Jenna Valenta from Boston, Massachusetts, who I think is going to be absolutely fantastic to listen to. And, and uh, uh, tell us a little bit about Jenna, Tyler, and what you hope she's able to do. For well, it's another plug for ASBPA. I mean, I met her last year at the conference um, and uh, started actually talking about this very project and we, we were hoping to have her on the uh the pilot pod that we recorded um she's a highly intelligent thought leader with the littoral society uh she's extremely well networked in the coastal advocacy community and she plans on bringing us stories from around the country of people who have dedicated their lives to improving the coast in some way or fashion and uh, these are going to be stories that will inspire us, but they will also inform us of where the movements are going to be. What will be the next plastic straw ban movement, I wonder? Mm -hmm. And what will that look like? That's something that we should all be paying attention to. And Jana will help us do that. So that's the number five story of awakening on the American shoreline this summer. Tyler, what's number four? Number four. Uh, I have the sea level rise and climate change awareness movement. Uh, this summer uh, has been relatively quiet hurricane-wise, at least on the eastern seaboard. I know Hawaii just had a brush uh, with a, a very serious storm, but uh, in that uh, wake of kind of a quiet season on the eastern uh, seaboard, we have heard so much more about sea level rise. Turns out when the storms aren't happening, people are still concerned. Uh, there have been stories from around the country, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the LA Times, all Forbes. covering Forbes, all covering the issue of sea level rise and the costs that it will uh, that we will incur as a society in managing it. Uh, this is my number four because everybody in the coastal industry, whether you're running a port, whether you work in tourism development, or whether you own a beach house, you are staying up at night and thinking about this all the time. This is on your mind. It's number four, and this will only become more serious in the years to come. Right. I, 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 you know, it's odd to say it's number four because I think over the next decade it will be one of the most serious and dynamic issues. Uh, regardless of uh, your opinion of the causes of shoreline change, I think what I've noticed in reading closely uh, around the country, it, there was a great article about the 
temperature, sea level temperature rise in the Gulf of Maine that was in the Washington Post uh, today, in fact, uh, the average, the temperature in the Gulf of Maine right now is 11 degrees warmer than the average since the late 1800s. There are extraordinary changes going on along the shoreline that are related in some way to climate change. And sea level rise is a inevitable issue of discussion along the shoreline. Uh, if we look down to Florida, we see the city of Miami and, 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 and Florida coastal cities really starting to struggle with king tides and changes in shorelines and the cost of managing sea level rise. Again, whether you attribute the cost to anthropomorphic changes or you think it's a natural fluctuation isn't really the point. The point is there are tremendous challenges coming our way from sea level rise and climate change. Intensities of storms, it changes the viability of coastal property and its value. A fantastic series of articles from, as you said, from the New York Times, also from Forbes lately, talking about the decline in property values of beachfront property in the last few years. A 16% drop in property valuations in Charlotte, uh, South Carolina, and through Florida attributable to the market's recognition that vulnerable properties are less valuable now. I think we want to track that story over the next decade. We are, I'm also fascinated by how the insurance industry is going to respond to the increasing risk and change of, of, of climate change and sea level rise. There is so much to talk about uh, about this topic. It will be, I'm sure, a core subject matter of Coastal News Today in the American Shoreline Podcast. Inescapable, and we will run headlong into it, and we look forward to discussing it. Uh, and let's move to... Number three. Number three. Uh, this one, I think, is especially interesting. The Hawaiian Volcano. Right. Uh, this is a fascinating shoreline story because, of course, it, it is not your traditional shoreline story. In this case, we have new land being created in perhaps the most violent and mm. uh, visually stunning uh, example of geology that we could that we have uh, a, a volcano spewing earth itself uh, into the sea, cr expanding the Hawaiian Islands. Uh, this is a story that I put at number three because it makes us think. It makes us think about our planet. It makes us think about what the coastline really is and how temporal it, in fact, is. And it challenges our conception of that space in time. Our, our lifetimes are, after all, uh, give or take 80 years, and geology operates on a very different time scale. And when we consider and we get, we, when we have the opportunity to look at a volcano and, and watch it function, it speeds everything up, and all of a sudden we have the opportunity to be in awe right. of the power <laughs> of the shoreline. I agree. And I, it's, not a, it's not a firework show that makes this number three on the list. I think be, the, the, you're right to say that, and when you said earlier, that one of the things about the coastline and the American shoreline that is a fascinating subject to focus on is the fact that the changes are occur in visible time, whether they're a hurricane, the position of the land, the expansion of the land. The Hawaii volcano story is interesting because 
it is the opposite of erosion. Here we're talking about the expansion of, of the land water interface, the expansion of the islands themselves. And it's not just the physical, although it's spectacular, and it absolutely is uh, spectacular to see, it really brings to the fore the implications of land use policy. And how do you set land use policy and how do you govern development in a highly dynamic environment? I think the Hawaiian volcano is a perfect way to illustrate how do we approach dynamic land masses, and, the, and, and that's what I think we, we intend to focus on in stories like the Hawaiian volcano. And it also brings up another very fascinating topic of discussion, which has to do with federal spending on emergency and disaster policy. I mean, the economics of the volcano are massive, the public policy implications are massive, mm -hmm. and it happens to be spectacular to look at, but really, it's an illustration of the multifaceted interests that come into play in this dynamic space that's the American shore. Absolutely. And it actually runs us right into number two. Uh, the number two most important uh, coastal news story of the summer has been the ongoing public-private property issues on the beach. From Florida to California, this has been a, a common thread that we have seen in major publications around the country. Who owns the shoreline? Where do pop, uh, public rights end and private rights begin, or vice versa, depending mm -hmm. on your point of view? Right. I can't tell you. I'm actually going to be hosting a coastal real estate and property owner podcast called The Beach Shack that I cannot wait to dive into some of these issues with. But Peter, I'll let you lead it off. What do you think? Well, I, I do think, you know, in my 25 years of working on the coast, uh, going back to the time when I was the coastal management director for the Texas Coastal Management Plan in the 80s, uh, the, the issue of public access to the shoreline and the public-private interest overlay has got to be the most politically complex and legally, uh, really a legally challenging and a discussion to have. And we, we know that the Constitution of the United States protects private property that is at the state level and at the federal level. We know that the public cannot overrun private property, and yet there is an expectation that we're all going to get to go to the beach. The conflicts on public-private, uh, the public-private property rights conflicts along the American shoreline are fascinating and intricate. A couple of highlights from the summer. If you were following uh, Governor Rick Scott's uh, this summer in Florida and the, and the explosive discussion over property rights that occurred on the beach uh, in Florida, you know what we're talking about. If you were paying attention to the Coastal, uh, the coastal Commission in California this summer and in, in this month, a huge decision in, in, the, in, in, in in California this August in Victoria Beach, where the CCC ordered a landowner to pay a million dollars in fines and to remove a concrete seawall that protected their home because of its negative uh, impact on public access. Um, it is a complex issue. Every state is different. The specific rights and responsibilities of owners versus the public are variable. And I've got to say, I'm so happy that, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled. Rob Nixon 
uh, who's a, a, a great guy from, from South Padre Island, Texas, is going to, to lead, our, uh, lead our podcast on recreation and enjoyment, which really is the public access and recreational podcast. Uh, uh, so we're looking forward to, to Rob's podcast. It's going to be called, it is called, the neck waiting it's called next swell next swell swell. with rob nixon and uh you'll be able to listen in as rob explores that issue around the country dive in if you're a city manager in louisiana or a city manager in alabama or a city manager on the north carolina shoreline or or a mayor or a city council member or county commissioner and you're wondering how is this testy problem approached Listen to Rob Nixon. It'll be a great insight into how this issue is addressed all over the American shoreline. And if you are a private property owner, you have a beach house, and you're wondering how this issue affects you, absolutely listen to Rob Nixon, but also listen to The Beach Shack, hosted by me. I will be diving into these issues as well uh, from that perspective. And I very much look forward to it. And, you know, this gives us a flavor, really, Tyler, uh, of the coverage of Coastal News today in the ASPN network is is to bring to the forward and bring uh, to the public uh, practitioners who've been through the fire on these issues and can talk to it with some intelligence and professionalism. And so we're really looking forward to that. And I wanted to, you know, I wanted to share uh, an analogy that I think really illustrates the kind of conflicts that the public-private partnership, the, the public-private access issues uh, bring to the fore. Uh, when I think about Galveston Bay or Tampa Bay or San Francisco Bay, any of the major uh, bay systems along the shoreline that are homes to significant shipping and waterways and port interests, significant recreational pressure, and significant fishery or uh, uh, use of the habitat, when you have those three things happening, it presents a very complex and dynamic puzzle. How do you balance the interest of shipping shipping in waterways versus recreational access to the shoreline versus, say, commercial fishing? And it's sort of like this when I think about it. I mean, imagine if we are talking about a land-based transportation corridor like the interstate highway system. You know, the federal government has invested billions of dollars in the interstate highway system as a means to promote economic development and economic efficiency in transportation. That is true, of course, for all of you folks who are along the coast know very well that our ports and waterway systems, whether it's the Atlantic Intercoastal Waterway or the Gulf Intercoastal Waterway, those those uh, landward-based waterways or our deep water ports that are federally funded and maintained. It is like the interstate waterway system, I mean the interstate highway system. What you don't have in the land-based transportation corridors is farming, and what you don't have is recreation. People do not fish and farm immediately adjacent to and in the same physical space as the transportation corridor. But if you look at Galveston Bay, you'll see a major transportation corridor going right down the middle of the bay up to the port of Houston and the tremendous petrochemical facilities that exist in Houston and Texas City and all around the bay. It is the fourth largest port in the United States. It's the number one petrochemical import-export terminal in the United States. And that bay system at the same time is the home of 
a significant oyster fishery that is essentially a farming operation that provides food for restaurants and people around the bay, and it is also a recreation and a playland for, for fishermen, both commercial and, and recreational, and all of that has to happen in the same geographic space. So, Tyler, when you put public-private issues uh, as the number two issue on the American shoreline, I completely agree with that. I think the complexity of the balance of interests along the shore and what we expect the shoreline to deliver for us as human beings is so complicated and it's so rich and those conflicts occur in communities all around the American shoreline. And we, what we're going to do at Coastal News Today and through the American Podcast Network is to, to illustrate and illuminate those, uh, those issues and how they're handled from place to place. There's a lot to be learned from how the solutions are approached in, in uh, Tampa versus Freeport or the Port of Brownsville or L.A. or up into Puget Sound. I mean, I think we, we really want to explore that. And I think public-private issues is, is a great place to, to – it's great at number two on the list. I couldn't agree more. That's why I put it there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's – move down into number one. Uh, this, the number one coastal news story of the summer of 2018 is the blue, green, algae, and red tide epidemic, I think it's fair to say, sure. in southwest Florida. Uh, I'm and sure, southeast, too. And southeast Florida. Both sides. South Florida. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure everyone who is listening is well aware of what's happening, but it is truly a calamity uh, where massive algal blooms and red tide have resulted in that in South Florida have resulted in uh, fish kills numbering in the millions, whale sharks uh, washing up dead on the shore. yeah, turtles. turtles washing up dead on the shore, dolphins washing up dead on the shore. Uh, the loss of sea life is really on the scale of an oil spill. Or bigger, uh, really. Or bigger. Because of the persistence. Totally. Of it. It's been 10 months, the blue tide and red tide uh, problem in Florida has been on, been going for 10 months now. And, and, and this is number one, not only because of the, the calamity of it and the, the just devastation to not only the marine life, but also the tourism economy and the people whose livelihoods right. are uh, based on uh, the tourism that takes place down in that neck of the woods. Right. Um, this is important because this has to do with management of, a, of the system and competing economic interests and who wins and who loses. Right. It has to do with betting and losing. And in the case here... Uh, this has risen all the way from the local governments all the way up to the governor's office. And in fact, I believe a declar- an emergency declaration has, has been signed by the governor. I don't know where that sits now. But what I can tell you is that this presents itself as a brand new policy area for us coastal professionals. And it is one where we will need to learn about the competing interests on the shoreline in an entirely new way. This is not an erosion threat. This is a threat to our use of inland land and water. Yes, and I, th- I think it's number one 
both because it is spectacular, not in a, a good way. Uh, it is a spectacular event, but it's, it's number one because it illustrates the complexity of the relationships between economic sectors and how they affect the coast. And again, this is a bedrock principle of Coastal New State and, and the American Shoreline Podcast Network. We have to look deeper to understand the relationships between inland agricultural practices, coastal fisheries, the coastal fisheries industry, and the tourism and hospitality industry, and how decisions made in one sector directly and significantly affect other parts of the economy of the coast. And it really, the fact that this connection is so rich and vivid is happens to be because it is a water-based area, right? So uh, nutrients that are used in, in, in sugar farming, sugarcane farming in Florida, and both pesticides and fertilizers that enter the coastal area can cause a certain biological changes. They can promote the growth of algae and other organisms that are detrimental, that are unnaturally, that reach unnatural levels. And I think what's what's amazing about the blue green algae and red tide problem in Florida is the is the pervasiveness of that impact, both on the Gulf side of Florida and on the Atlantic side of Florida. And let me just tell you what we hope to to, to do in the coverage of this story. And I can tell you a couple of our podcast hosts, including Robert Jones, who's our fisheries podcast leader, intends to, to uh, cover this story in his podcast. Um, and others, I think other podcast hosts are also interested in the story. But uh, let me just take a little pause and put a plug in for Shorn Beach Magazine. The American uh, Shorn Beach Preservation Association publishes a quarterly technical magazine called called Shore and Beach. Uh, it is a, you know, for us in the practitioners in the coastal area, it is a place to read well-researched, scientifically sound-based uh, stories about the coast. This issue includes a fantastic story written by James Houston from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. And and James uh, has written a couple of stories on the economic value of the shoreline, particularly beaches. Uh, James is with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Research and Development Center, URDIC. Uh, boy, I sure hope we get James on a podcast soon. But let me give you a couple of highlights of what James Houston found with regard to Florida. And this is kind of stunning. If you considered Florida a country as opposed to a state and you tracked the number of external tourists or foreign tourists who came to that country and counted them up, do you know that Florida draws more foreign tourists, and I, by this I mean foreign to, I believe it is foreign to the United States, than any other country in the world. Florida is not a country, of course, but if you treated it, Florida is higher than France, is higher than Spain, and is higher than the United States. People flock to Florida. What James Houston has been evaluating for many years now is the significance of the economics of coastal tourism and particularly of beach tourism. It's a fascinating article. I really think it's worth the read. I haven't gotten all the way through it. It's, it's, it's extraordinarily detailed and really well-researched, and um, it, it really points to this 
topic that is the number one of the summer topics, uh, the blue-green algae and the red tide disaster in Florida and what the economic and policy implications are of that occurrence is really something that Coastal News Today and ASPM will be covering. And I will tell you, if you can, Shore and Beach Magazine from ASBPA, the pick one up, get, you'll get a lot smarter about what's going on on the shoreline with uh, Shore and Beach Magazine. But thanks a lot for uh, bringing that one at number one, Tyler. Number one, I, I think that it clearly is right in the wheelhouse of what we're trying to do. Uh, everyone, this is so exciting to launch this podcast. Uh, go, if, if, if you are not currently a subscriber to Coastal News Today's daily newsletter, go to coastalnewstoday.com and sign up. We have our splash page up now. We will be uh, in operation soon with that website. In the meantime, we're going to be podcasting, and we plan on putting out as much content as we can across every sector of the coastline, covering all of these fascinating issues, and we want to bring you along for the ride. Yeah. So, and that's right. So, ASPN, the network, is part of Coastal News Today. Coastalnewstoday.com is the site to go. You can put your email address in. We'll get you signed up for all of the podcasts that are coming up. Uh, as I say, they, and Tyler mentioned, the website and the new segregation service is well underway. We're really looking forward to that launch. But while that is coming online, we are going to be introducing you to each of the podcast hosts. There are about a dozen of them in special subject areas. We'd really like it uh, if you would tune in and learn who uh, who the crew is because I think there's going to be something for everybody. And you can do that through coastalnewstoday.com. Welcome to Coastal News Today, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast Network.